And so then it uh, really heated up. I thought every day we were going to go to war. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Colonel William Gregory served in the US Army Air Corps and saw extensive combat over North Africa and Europe during World War II, rising to the position of squadron commander. It was his squadron that flew many of the spy missions over Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was later awarded a medal by the CIA for his service as well as a letter of appreciation by President Kennedy. Now, some of our fans are helping the podcast financially, so if you'd like to join this select band, then you can sign up to Patreon for the price of a couple of coffees a month. You really help us cover the show's increasing costs and keep us on the air, plus you get that sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster too. Just go to patreon.com slash coldwarpod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Cold War Pod. Today's episode is brought in conjunction with the Cold War Museum and I'm delighted to welcome Colonel William Gregory to Cold War Conversations. Well, by that time, I was flying bombers and uh, Korea was not a good... Uh, we, we I think we had very, very limited bombers used in Korea. In fact, uh, I was flying the B-29 at that time, uh, so we had several wings of B-29s at that time, and uh, they were one or two wings over there, but I, I did, did not engage in, in flying uh, in Korea. But uh, then uh, the uh, B-29 was uh, replaced by the B-47, uh, it was a six-engine uh, airplane, a really beautiful airplane. It was uh, streamlined, and uh, I really liked that airplane a lot. And I was flying it. Uh, I was offered uh, a, 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 a summit. It was a classified assignment in uh, high-altitude airplanes, which... Uh, I didn't know anything about, but uh, in, anyhow, it was uh, it was called Project Black Knight, right. and we had the B B forty seven, a B fifty seven, rather B fifty seven, and uh, we had the D model B fifty seven. It was a limited uh, production airplane, only twenty of them, and uh, it would fly to um, sixty thousand feet. And I was in that program for four years, and then uh, <clears throat> after that, I got a squadron of um, of U2s. It would fly about seventy-two thousand feet, as you know. Wow, that, and, that's uh, that's that's some height. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, it was. So and so, uh, so then I, I was I had a squadron of uh, U2s. Well, uh, actually, uh, when uh, Gary Powers was shot down on May the 1st, 1960, I was waiting for orders to go to Atsugi in Japan. I was going to uh, 
be the operations officer over there. I was lieutenant colonel at the time. When he was shot down, it changed everything. Uh, the U.S. Uh, brought, uh, they had a squadron at, at Suga and then one in uh, Turkey. President Eisenhower decided to bring all the uh, planes back uh, and people back uh, to the States. And he had said there would be no more overflights. And so then instead of going to uh, uh, Japan, I I went to uh, Edwards Air Force Base. uh, And uh, we had a squadron there. Well, uh, we... We were actually at North Base, which was about 10 miles from the main base. It was an old World War II base, uh, a satellite base, and we had to clean it up a bit. But uh, it was good for us to be uh, 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 removed from the main base there at Edwards. <clears throat> uh, when when all the uh, people were uh, uh, brought back, the colonels that had been uh, Doing this mission before, they they were released, and as a, uh, a lieutenant colonel, I was the ranking officer, and so then I became the acting commander there at uh, Edwards, and uh, I wasn't sure what our program was going to be, if any. I thought maybe we were going to have to deactivate the squadron because uh, of what the uh, president had said. But uh, anyhow, within six months, headquarters in Washington had directed uh, that we was start overflying uh, Cuba. So uh, that was in, uh, I guess, 61. And then in 62, uh, we were found a lot. Uh, that this is when we, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, evolved. And uh, we had initially found... Uh, surface air missiles there in Cuba. And we also knew they they had some um, uh, planes there, Soviet planes there. And so, uh, and eventually they had the uh, long-range missiles in uh, Cuba, which we found as well. So uh, uh, President uh, Kennedy's staff at that time was sort of equally divided. About half of them wanted to... Uh, knock out the uh, missiles immediately, which we could have done, but it might have started a war. And the other half wanted to try to use diplomacy. Uh, so that actually worked out well. But uh, they was for a week there, I thought every day we were going to go to war, but it didn't happen. And uh, we had pictures of the missiles in Cuba, and so the Soviets eventually decided to uh, remove the missiles and the airplanes and all the uh, equipment they had there in Cuba. And so it was settled uh, in that way, which was a good thing. Yeah. Can I ask you a few questions on on Cuba? Um, With you being the commanding officer, you weren't flying the missions, were you? No, no, I was not. Um, um, so the 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 pilots that you were, you know, sending on these missions. I mean, what they were flying at how high altitude o- over Cuba, but some of them, at least one or two U twos, were shot down, weren't they, over Cuba? One, one, right. yeah, one was shot down. Mm-hmm. 
And was yes. was that one of your pilots? No, actually, uh, uh, I had CIA pilots, and these were Air Force. Uh, uh, that pilot was an Air Force pilot. I knew him well. He had uh, trained in our airplane at my base at Edwards and um, had him there for a few days. Also, after we had uh, found uh, the missiles in Cuba, uh, there was a big discussion if uh, we would continue, um, if my guys would continue to do the overflights, or if the Air Force would. And it was finally decided that uh, the Air Force would uh, would continue to uh, to do the overflights of Cuba at that point because they thought it would be better if uh, if things got bad that uh, would be better for uh, the Air Force to be involved rather than the CIA. And uh, so from that point, uh, the Air Force uh, took over, and uh, it was uh, uh, one of their people that were shot down. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, uh, uh, we we did uh, have uh, those pictures that uh, showed the uh, missiles in Cuba. Uh, it was settled that way. Yeah, yeah. And were you aware at the time of the importance of of the work that you were carrying out? In fact, uh, I, I had wondered if we were going to have a mission at all, because uh, after uh, uh, Gary Powers was shot down, it it uh, looked like we probably didn't have a mission with the uh, U two. But in- anyhow, um, after that, why? Well, I guess it was six months later, uh, after we arrived there at Edwards, uh, we got this uh, directive to begin overflying Cuba. And it was good to have a mission because uh, an organization doesn't function very well if it has nothing to do. But uh, also, we were training. I I had all of our guys flying a lot, and uh, we were training... uh, even though we uh, didn't know for what, but uh, we we didn't see anything for a time there in Cuba in uh, 1960, late 1960. But by 62, and we we would do this periodically. We uh, we would find fly a number of missions, and then they'd say that's enough. You can um, uh, stand down for a while. And then we would do it again. But uh, by January of 62, uh, we found uh, a lot of uh, Soviet people in Cuba uh, in in this one area. Uh, It was at that time that we uh, found these Soviet airplanes. And so then it uh, really heated up. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia. And I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, 
get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. We uh, didn't know the importance of this at the time, but uh, we, we, had, we had found, my group had found these uh, surface air missiles. There was one of the uh, 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 long-range missiles, and I think eventually they had a total of three there of, of the long-range missiles, and they were desperately trying very hard to get these old combat ready or get the missiles uh, fired up and uh, are ready to launch and we avoided uh, a war by not not trying to knock out the missiles yeah. beforehand yeah and how how were the crews bre- or the pilots briefed before a mission were they were your pilots expecting surface to air missiles to be fired at them uh, yes, uh, uh, they, they thought that this could be a possibility, yes. We hadn't found any surface-to-air missiles there early on, but by uh, late in 62, it, it was about mid-year in 62, we began flying, I think it was um, August of 62, that uh, we we discovered the first surface-to-air missiles. And so we knew at that time that... Uh, uh, we were vulnerable for them. If uh, one of my guys got shot down, we just had to admit it. That um, uh, later, and they had uh, this crazy story. I think it, uh, that uh, when uh, Powers was flying, it, the uh, story was that uh, they were flying along the Soviet border, and due to compass error. Why they straight into Soviet territory? It'd been far better if they'd told the truth, because I think Powers was about uh, fifteen hundred miles inside the Soviet Union when he was shot down. So the story yeah, was that's, not true. Yeah, that's one hell of a navigation error. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. If one of your pilots was was shot down, what what were they instructed to do if they were shot down over Cuba? Uh, we we did survival uh, practice, uh, and uh, we we told them that uh, they they would uh, able to parachute out if they were shot down, and uh, but that uh, never happened. Uh, uh, we we didn't have a phony story that uh, just uh, the truth that uh, we would try to get them out. Right. So, so if they were shot down, how would what would they identify themselves as? Would they say they were a air force, or presumably they wouldn't yeah. say they were well, CIA? They, yeah, I guess we did not. Uh, they would just say they were air force pilots, right? Or they were pilots. Yeah. Not not uh, distinguishing. And and with the U two, I mean, you can't evade a missile uh, in a U two, can you? Well, what we did, we had, uh, they, they developed a, a uh, listening device on the airplane. And uh, if, if, that, if the SA-2 was launched, uh, and this was uh, probably, uh, later on, the pilot would begin to make a, a, a turn immediately. And uh, hopefully, uh, oh, it was thought 
he would avoid the missile. But uh, we didn't have that at the time uh, the Arab um, uh, guy was shot down. That, uh, but that's that's what we instituted after he was shot down. Uh, that uh, this was a warning that it was installed on the airplane, and that uh, if this thing, uh, uh, if he got this signal, uh, he's able to make this turn. At, at least they had this this warning. It, it, it was not. It was actually never used, but it was a good thing to have this uh, defensive uh, tactic. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And the the U two itself as an aircraft, what what was it like to fly? Well, it was like a, a kite. <laughs> actually, it it uh, it was uh, it was a light airplane that could go to seventy two thousand feet. And uh, actually, when it was uh, built, they had the specification for an airplane that would uh, go this high. Uh, what happened, President Eisenhower, was uh, he had uh, a uh, report from a RAND study that said uh, a, a Soviet threat was uh, if they had uh, tried a um, sneak attack, on our bomber forces that we could lose 75% of our bomber forces. Uh, So uh, uh, the U.S. then became very concerned about uh, uh, that happening or uh, uh, such an attack might occur. And actually, uh, the Air Force lost uh, four airplanes, and the Navy lost three airplanes, total of seven trying to uh, penetrate the Soviet Union. And, of course, they were all shot down. And uh, so then uh, the, uh, uh, the requirement was, uh, was put out for a, a, a company, aircraft manufacturer, to build an airplane that would fly at 70,000 feet, have a payload of at least uh, 650 pounds, and it would have a range of uh, 1,500 miles. And uh, there were three companies that were selected uh, and were given uh, development money to do that. Well, Lockheed was not one of them. But uh, Kelly Johnson said that uh, uh, he sold his company on trying uh, for this. And he actually won. So Kelly Johnson built the U-2, um, which did, uh, and uh, from early on, he was, the, even though he wasn't selected, he he, he was uh, a, a winner. And uh, so uh, he finally built the U-2. He went through several iterations of, of uh, how, how to get that high with a light airplane and uh, some of the uh, things they came up with (laughs) were uh, I think one um, one time or one um, uh, plan was develop an airplane that would fly off of a sled or something kind and uh, it wouldn't have landing gear (laughs) but uh, that was changed and uh, that never happened but uh, so he was really uh, quite successful in uh, developing uh, the U-2. 
and uh, it could uh, it, it could reach that altitude, and uh, it, uh, it it was the winner. Yeah, and incredibly, there's I believe there's still versions of the U two flying today. Uh, oh, they, uh, that's true. It's it's a different airplane, but yeah. uh, uh, as you suggested, that that is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that and for years they for years they have been talk, uh, talk of uh, the drones would uh, take over, but they still have not yet <laughs> in all this time. So they are still uh, the they are still flying. Yeah, yeah. No, that's an incredible longevity for for uh, one, one aircraft or type of aircraft anyway. I understand that you 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 work closely with Kelly Johnson. I got to know Kelly Johnson uh, pretty well. We uh, did a modification of the U two to fly it off of a carrier, and um, he had to redesign the U two. Uh, I I had uh, four pilots. Well, as a matter of fact, if four of us went through it, well, I I, I also went through it myself through the care qualification program. And uh, I, I selected four of my pilots, and I asked for a spot for myself. And the five of us uh, uh, flew out of uh, Pensacola uh, on uh, uh, the Lexington. But uh, before that, uh, we did uh, a lot of uh, simulated uh, flights. Uh, I had a Navy... Uh, commander assigned to my organization and uh, he was very good and uh, pilots did over a hundred simulated uh, landings and uh, I I did that as well and uh, before we went to uh, Pensacola and uh, then uh, uh, the five of us uh, uh, did the uh, care qual program there at uh, Pensacola and uh, that went well. Uh, one of the Navy people, uh, we had to turn the ship around at one time, and we were st- uh, st- sort of just waiting. And uh, one of the people said, uh, why in the world are you doing this now? Uh, I was a colonel at the time. And he said, we normally have young guys uh, doing this. And I said, well, it was my first opportunity to uh, do this but um so any anyhow it was uh it was really enjoyable i have a lot of respect for navy um, pilots yeah i mean i mean the the u2 has i think quite a large wingspan so that must have been it does, quite, yeah. that must have made it very difficult landing it on a carrier deck well it it uh it it went well because it was no uh, you know, uh, we had no trouble getting it off. Uh, you could, uh, about halfway down, well, b- beyond the island, uh, long before the end of the carry, right. uh, with no no assist. We, we didn't uh, we didn't require the JATO assisted takeoff. So the U two, uh, and of course the uh, carry was into the wind, and uh, so he was off immediately. We we didn't do this a lot, but uh, these pilots uh, never had any problem uh, with this. And uh, we did a one exercise 
the uh, carrier uh, was the Ranger. Was uh, it was uh, at uh, San Francisco Bay, I guess it was, and we loaded on to the Ranger. We were going to go to the South Sea Islands on this cruise, and uh, when we got a beam of, of, of uh, about, I guess Hawaii, uh, we uh, flew uh, the two U2s onto the carrier. Uh, uh, Hawaii didn't have anything to do with it. We were not close to Hawaii, but it was about the time we were passing Hawaii. Uh, uh, two of my pilots then uh, flew on to the carrier at that time. And then uh, uh, the mission was to see what the French were doing. Uh, at on this, uh, They had the French uh, Guana, I guess, a French, uh, a French island down there that um, we were supposed to... Uh, uh, do a couple of missions over which we did right so i mean that's quite interesting because you're effectively spying on your allies there surely yeah yeah it really was yes right and th- this was because the french weren't providing a lot of information about their nuclear tests so so with yeah. that with that mission you you were you were taking photographs or were you taking atmospheric samples yeah, yeah. Taken uh, photographs, yeah. Right. Okay. No, that that that's really interesting. So, how how did you end your your U.S. Air Force service? I was I was offered um, to go into the SR seventy one program, and uh, as the uh, operations officer, I had uh, been gone from home for the uh, see. I guess this was. Uh, about nine years, more than half the time, and uh, my wife didn't know anything about the SR-71, but uh, uh, she was such a loyal person that uh, uh, she, I had just come back from another TDY uh, uh, just a few days before I got this offer, and she said, I just don't know how much longer I can tolerate all these separations that my uh, two girls were also um, they were uh, in uh, high school and so I, I had been gone so much and so when I was offered uh, this job by uh, the general from uh, Washington uh, I said I've got to think about this uh, and I told him I said you know I've been <clears throat> Away from home for so much, and uh, and so I, I told him my situation, and he said, "Well, I, I would understand it." But uh, he said, "If you turn it down, you can uh, have the assignment you you might want." And um, so I did. I turned it down, and uh, I asked him to go to the uh, National War College. And um, that was a good year I had at the National War College. Uh, I uh, was uh, going to have a uh, secret or a classified job in the Pentagon. Uh, But the uh, general that uh, had asked for me, he got transferred. And I never knew what that job was. But at least I, uh, I stayed there at the Pentagon for five years. Uh, I was in research and development there, and uh, we were working on the drone 
which uh, was brand new at that time. And any time you're designing a new weapon system, which in this case was a drone, you have a lot of problems with it. Mm. And so we had a lot of problems with it then. But, of course, they are flying all over everywhere now. After that, I had a call from the Air Force Institute of Technology, uh, General Pinson, and he he said, uh, I've been trying to find uh, an assistant uh, here. And he said he, he would going to be retiring in another year. But uh, uh, And uh, he said he would like to have me come out and discuss it. And I, I, I told him, uh, I said, it, it's different from anything I've ever done. And uh, I'm really not that interested and so he kept talking to me and said, would you please come out and uh, let, let's talk it over. And so uh, anyhow, uh, uh, then uh, I was not only his deputy, but I was also chief of staff. And and uh, I handled all of the um, staff meetings. And it, it was a, a great job. And uh, and I was there at uh, the Air Force Institute of Technology for four years, and I retired uh, from there. But, uh, uh, but in, anyhow, I, uh, I really made out uh, very well, uh, particularly with the Cuban Missile Crisis. But uh, I was a lieutenant colonel at the time, and uh, I, I was rewarded. I was uh, promoted to colonel three years before I was eligible. I got a letter from uh, President Kennedy about our role in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, also, I, I got another Legion of Merit. <laughs> I actually uh, have four Legion of Merit, which uh, I think there are only three of us uh, in the Air Force that uh, have four or more. Right. Wow. Wow. That's some... Uh... That's some honor there, and also the the, yeah. the letter from President Kennedy. I'm sure you uh, treasure that. I do, I, I do. And then I I, I got uh, see what uh, the CIA medal, medal of merit from the CIA also. When you were flying, what what was the most um, dangerous situation you ended up in? I was flying the uh, B-47, and uh, uh, we uh, we were in, uh, my crew and I were, were in uh, North Africa uh, with the B-47. Mm. And, uh, and that was good because uh, we had a mission in the Soviet Union uh, for a target, uh, and uh, so we went there for three months, and that put us much closer to our target in the Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, so, anyhow, uh, we were briefed to, to return home. It was the end of this particular mission, and uh, I didn't think we, uh, we they were going to go. We were going to go that day because the weather was really bad, and we were uh, at the very top. I think we were flying over over about thirty three thousand feet, 
and we were just over the top of the weather, and uh, we had to get refueling uh, wrong about uh, Newfoundland, and uh, there was a little level there around 12,000 feet that uh, the tankers could get into, and so uh, I thought we would not do that, but we did. But anyhow, just as I was entering the overcast, um, all my instruments went out. And uh, uh, so I I had to get down through this big overcast with just needle and ball and airspeed. And uh, this was really a tricky operation. And... And uh, when I broke out, uh, I, I would do it the same way if I'd had the instruments. But uh, it made a we made a big circle. It was a deep dive in, in a circular pattern. And then when I rolled out at twelve thousand feet, the tanker was right ahead of me. Wow! So that was that was a good feeling. That was uh, one of the danger. Um, that was really a dangerous thing. If I lost control. Uh, we would, uh, and we had to, uh, and we had crashed. Uh, uh, the, the water was uh, freezing, yeah. and um, so, yeah. But uh, that didn't happen. Well, um, Greg, I really appreciate your time with me tonight. Sharing, well, I, I enjoyed uh, sharing this with you. Well, no, I've I've appreciated hear, hearing you know, your experiences directly from you because you can read about some of these experiences, you know, written down, but actually speaking to the person themselves brings it much, much more to life. And that's an incredible career you've, you've taken me through there. And I would like to thank you for your service and, and helping me record your story. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate uh, what you're doing. It was such an honour to speak to Greg and hear a first-hand account from someone so deeply involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Thanks again to Gary Powers Jr. and the Cold War Museum for arranging the conversation. If you'd like to learn more, then head over to our show notes, which are at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 80. This will also show as a link in some podcast apps. The show notes also have some videos relating to this episode. You can help us by leaving reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page or with your favourite podcast provider. This helps to raise our profile and get new guests on the show. If you can't wait for the next episode, go to our Facebook discussion group where our guests and listeners like yourselves continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.
not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.